Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So remember very quickly what we talked about, okay? Ezekiel is on his 30th birthday, if you will, and he's um, at the river Kaibar, and he saw the heavens open up, and he saw this incredible vision of God. And he saw the throne room of God, he saw the cherubim, he saw the crystal sea. It was amazing. Now, again, remember, he was about to be promoted, if he was still home, to go to be a priest, but now he's promoted from priest to prophet. And if you remember, Ezekiel, as best as he could, um, just tried to describe as best as he could the throne of God. I mean, this is this is God, you know? It's like, wow. And all he could say was in the likeness, and it looks like the likeness, and this is awesome. And the word awesome means magnificent. And then he comes and he describes the cherubim, and he actually gives us some insight into what Satan look like before he was thrown to earth because Satan was a cherub. And so you kind of keep an eye, you know, it had the wings and the covering. You can go back and look at that because we have so much to cover. I can't really uh, dive too deep. Now, quickly, um, you may notice the term, guys, here, and someone asked me last week, son of men, or two weeks ago, what is son of men? What is the son of men in referring to Ezekiel? Because remember, again, think about this. The reason people ask is because Jesus was called Son of Man. Now, here's the difference. Grasp this, okay? Ezekiel is called Son of Man, okay? And this is to emphasize that although he had prophetic abilities, he is, quote-unquote, just a human uh, compared to God's all-encompassing power. When it goes to Jesus, remember, it says, the Son of Man, And so that's where it comes to the point like, oh, okay. So when he writes this, he goes, hey, son of man, son of man, it's going to emphasize that Ezekiel and all mankind have human limitations. From this, we understand that Ezekiel was not the Messiah nor a type of the Messiah. So when you see it, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, Ezekiel was the son of man, but Jesus was called son of man. No, no, Jesus was called the son of man. Very capital, very, that term of he's God, okay? But this is, okay, Ezekiel, you're prophetic. You're going to see some incredible visions, but you are just a human with human limitations. Now, I want you to remember the context. The context is we have this prophetic warning, and it's the devastation of idolatry, the devastation of idolatry. And Ezekiel chapter 6, starting out, gives us a potent, if you will, reminder of God's consequences of idolatry and disobedience to him. Yet, amidst of severe judgment, we do find God's mercy. And despite the darkness of circumstances, there's always a glimmer of hope that persists to, if you call Israel, would be the remnant ones, the remnant. And now we look into Ezekiel. If you recall, last two weeks ago, Sof did an incredible job last week but he wasn't in Ezekiel. But two weeks ago, you recall that Ezekiel has been this living video of the judgment of Israel. Now, in your minds, you've got to turn on your thinking caps because if you recall, there's three deportations and Babylon comes in and takes, it takes Israel and Judah. Three deportations. The first one, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel go. And then between the 11 years, he's still he's getting this prophetic judgment that's about to commence. Now, you have this happening in your mind, 
Ezekiel is, is prophesying from Babylon, okay, in the river Kaibar. And Jeremiah, contemporary, is actually prophesying there in Israel. So they're, they're contemporaries, one over here and one over there. So if you ever go, oh, what would be a cool book to overview next? Would probably be Jeremiah, so you get the same feelings of what's going on. And so here's this, this living video. I mean, think about this. Two weeks ago, the, the Lord told Ezekiel, okay, lie on this side for, for 100, 390 days. Lie on this side and 430. I mean, it was just like, this is what, it's just such a great picture. But the question I have for us tonight, guys, is what happens when people stop listening to the warnings of God? You see, what happens? A very merciful God begins to use visual warnings to get the people's attention. And that's where we're going to be, visual warnings to get the people's attention. Now, again, judgment is coming. Everybody understand that? He's about to, you know, Babylon's about to come and wipe them out. It's an 11-year span, and here's what God is saying. So, the people of Israel, church, they're not listening, okay? They, they're not listening to the word of the Lord anymore, and so God's coming to speak. And so, this is where we pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. Okay, so, so look. The, the people of the Lord, they've put the Lord on what I call T.I. And you go, what's T.I.? It's total ignore. They're not paying attention to God anymore. And they're not listening to him. And so the Lord kind of comes down in some what of a picturesque prophetic language. He says, okay, let me prophesy to the mountains. Now, you and I both know the mountains didn't sin, okay? That's just the terrain, But he says, let me prophesy. They didn't do anything to the Lord, but it's a visual. And so he turns to Ezekiel and he says, okay, prophesy against the mountains. Well, what are we going to say to the mountains? Lord's verse three. And say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places then your altar shall be desolate, your incense altar shall be broken. I will cast your slain men before your idols. I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols. I will scatter the bones all around your altars. In all your dwelling places, the city shall be laid to waste and high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid to waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. Your incense altars may be cut down and your works may be abolished. The slain fall into your midst and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now this starts out chapter six, very, very heavy, very heavy. And I want you to feel the weight of it. Why? Because again, the mountains, the ravines, the land didn't sin, but the Lord pronounces judgment on the idol worship that's going on. If we were to go to Israel, we were supposed to go in just a couple of weeks. We were supposed to go before this whole war broke out. We would go up into what they call Tel Dan. And Tel Dan, you can actually see still the, the high places and the, and the altars that they built so that they wouldn't have to go worship. Now, it wasn't exactly idol worship that, that, that um, Rehoboam, Jeroboam built, but you can still see, again, this is what's 
uh, going on, and it's, and it's all part of the mountain ravine. Now, the Lord pronounces judgment. Speak to the mountains. Here's where we go. Now, let me just give you a side note. Let me draw two things from these verses that we just read. Oftentimes, listen, when we turn a deaf ear to the things of God, God, in a very loving way, will use hard times to get our attention. He will use difficult situations in our lives, and the judgment is for our good, but nobody wants to give me an amen on that. You go, why? No, 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 no. Think about this, right? Now, this is not always the case that somebody gets sick because God is judging them, but you know that God will often use sickness or just plain hard times to get us back where we need to be. Okay, this is the judgment of God. Israel, Israel, you're worshiping. You're not, li- you're not listening to me. Okay, I've got I've to allow this judgment for your good. Now, don't misunderstand me because there's a lot of people in the room that go, wait a minute, that's what it is. God's judging me. That's why I'm sick. I knew it. I've been, I've been sick for two weeks. No, 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 no. Guess what? We get sick because there's germs in the room and all of these things. That's not, that's not what it's about, Okay. Uh, sickness is not necessarily a result of turning a deaf ear to God. But oftentimes, listen to me, church, oftentimes we find ourselves drifting away from God in a harmful way to our relationship with God that he will use a difficult situation to bring us back. We see it in Scripture. You're like, okay, I, I see that. I see that. What's the second thing that you see out of these texts? Keep in mind, after 70 years, the children of Israel in Babylon, Israel never worshipped idols like they did before. They were worshipping Molech. They were worshipping Asherah. They were worshipping all these gods. They had these idols in their hearts. And we're going to talk about how, 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 how this, this idol worship, an abomination, was crushing the heart of God. We're going to see that here a little bit later on. But I want you to see that, that again, he, he pronounces judgment. And then he takes them to Babylon. And Babylon, they were so inundated, guys, with idols that they were just filled and they just hated and they repented when they came back to the land. And from the time they came back to the land, guys, Israel has not worshipped, again, idols like Ashtaroth and Molech. Now, they still worship idols like money and sex and all the things that are, that are in our culture. That's still Israel, but they've never worshipped like they did before. So God knows what he's doing. And then it goes on in verse 8. It says, I, yet I will leave a remnant. Thank you, Lord, that you may have someone to escape the sword among the nations. And when they scattered throughout the centuries, then those who escape will remember me among the nations where they had carried me captive. In other words, they know why they're there. They know why they're there. Now, God, God, they go, okay, it's not just like, why am I being judged? It's like, oh, okay, I get it. I know what we were doing. I'm sorry, Lord. And so now is God's going to give them the root of why. Why are you there? Notice, he says, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me. If you're an underliner, that's a good verse to underline. Why? The Lord Jesus, God, the Father, right here, said, I was crushed. And you never want to think of the Lord being crushed. In other words, in other words, he says, he says, I was crushed. How? Why, Lord? He says, because of their adulterous hearts which, which departed from me. 
and burn their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evil which they committed in all their abominations. Now, again, to me, guys, when I was studying this, I was thinking, wow, do you feel the weight of this? It says, God says, I was crushed. And I want you right here to see the heart of God. I want you to see the heart of God. He says, when you are exiled among all the nations, he says, you're going to remember me. And they will recognize how hurt I am by their unfaithful hearts and their lustful eyes, he says. Now, take a moment here to see the vulnerability of God. You go, wait, God's vulnerable? Well, in order to love Israel, he has to have a heart that is willing to be hurt. You understand that. He says, I love you, and you're going you're gonna to be adulterous. You're going to... You're going to worship other idols, and it's going to crush my heart. But I'd rather love you and have my heart crushed than not love you the way I want to love you. And you're like, wow. And it's the same thing. God the Father loves you so much that he's willing to love you in this way, even though some of us will go, no, 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 I'm good, God. I don't need God. I'm fine. And walk away from him, and his heart is being crushed. Now, you've got to remember that. We need to remember that all those here who walk away from God, who, who, who turn a deaf ear to the gospel, who, again, who are just living, if you will, God's going. But he says, I'd rather love you. I'd rather love you even though I could get hurt. And it's this is this is this is just wow, wow. This doesn't compute, guys, because God is like. Can you imagine how he felt? Can you imagine how God felt? I mean, think about you married couples in here. Think about married couples for just a moment. It's like it's like you go home and and it's like your spouse, whom you really, really, really love, looks at you and says, "Hey." I know things are good between us, but I've decided I'm going to bring another lover into the house. And the hurt and the pain of that situation. Can you imagine? You see, that's where the value of God comes in our walks with God. That's the value. You see, it's not like, hey man, God is number one in my life. Jesus is number one. It's more than that. He's our all in all. And when he says, when we say God is loving, he loves us. He loves us to the point where even if we walk away, Raina, it crushes his heart. And I'm like, no, wow, Israel, Israel, I love you. I love you. And what did he say? I was crushed. I was crushed. The word crushed there often reminds me, do you remember when you were in and uh, elementary, and, and you had your first crush, right? You were just, oh, and then and, and he or she broke your heart, you know, this, that crush. I mean, it's like the Lord says, he says they were, they had an adulterous heart. And they departed from me. Verse 10, it says, and, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Have I not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them? In other words, he's saying, Something's good going to come from this. Something good's going to come. Yet, yet, although God is crushed and his heart is broken, he knows something good is going to come from this. He goes, this still makes me angry. 
It makes me angry. And you go, why? Well, here's what we need to jot down, guys. If you're taking note, we have to remember that there's something called righteous anger. There's righteous anger. You can be angry. The Bible says be angry, but do not sin, right? And the Lord is going to get angry. Here's what I want you to know. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, thus says the Lord. He says, pound your fists and stamp your feet and say, alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. He who is far off shall, shall die by the pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword. And he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. I mean, this is, this is deep, guys. Thus I shall spend my fury upon them. Why, Lord? Then you will know that I am the Lord. When they're slain among you, their idols all around the altars, on every high hill, on every mountaintop, under every green tree, under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate. Yes, more desolate than the wilderness towards the blah in all the dwelling places. And they shall know that I am the Lord. The Lord is angry. Guys, pound your fist, stamp your feet. He says, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them. Judgment is coming. My heart is crushed, but they need to know, and something good is going to come out of it. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. Judgment is near. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord your God to the land of Israel, In an end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land, and the end has come upon you, and I will send my anger against you. I will judge you you according to your ways, and I will repay you for all your abomination. My eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will repay your ways, and your abominations will be in the midst. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Let's let's chat about this. I want you to make a note. The Lord says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, and he says, son of man, he says, listen, the end has come on the four corners of the land. You guys see that in verse 2, the four corners of the land. If you want to mark up your Bible a little bit, God says the end is coming on the four corners of the land. And here's what you need to write down. Every square inch of the land, okay? And this is going to be important, okay? This is every square inch of the land. In other words, I'm not going to just pick and choose a little here and there. He says, I'm going to bring judgment on the whole land, on the whole land. On the whole land, what? Judgment is coming on the whole land. Now, he goes on and he says, well, let me give it to you um, in the New Living. It says, no hope remains, for I will unleash my anger against you. I will call to you an account of all the detestable sins. I will turn my eyes away and show no pity. I will repay you for all your detestable sins. Then you will know I'm the Lord. Now, I, I brought that out in the New Living because I want to show you something. Okay, The Lord God says, I'm going to, there's judgment in the land of Israel. There's every square inch. You guys with me? And now that's important. Why? Because it's something that's going to be applicable to us. And you go, how so? You and I both know not every single person in the land of Israel had sinned or worshipped idols. But yet, the Lord says, judgment is coming to the whole land, to all of it. Every square inch, I'm going to bring judgment. You see, the Babylonians didn't come in and go, huh, well, no, you're, you didn't, okay, you're good, you stay because you're good, and uh, no, you're a sinner, so you go. It was judgment. And you go, Pastor, what, 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 what's your point? 
I want us to see something here, and again, because before we move on, I want to see that there's, there's consequences. There's consequences. You see, all the people in Israel didn't sin, but they suffered the consequences of God judging the whole world. Now, you're not under that judgment, if you will, but I think you and I are going to suffer the consequences of God's judgment on our land. We can see we've already suffered consequences, okay? You and I, as believers, in these coming months and years, I would go out on a limb and say, we're about to face some fallout consequences as we wait his return. You see, a lot of people would say, well, Pastor Ben, no, 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 as believers, we're not under his, we're going to be raptured. We're going to be raptured before he pours out his wrath and judgment on an unbelieving world, but we're going to face those consequences up until that point, some of us, you and I. And in, in, in other words, let's just say that maybe this, this pestilence and this plague that happened to come upon us in 2020 was a judgment of God. People had said that it was a judgment of, well, you and I, we're serving the Lord. Why did we get it? Because there's consequences as a whole. And again, there's going to be people in Israel going, okay, okay. As God rightfully judges America, we will still, we're still here. And I think you and I are going to face some trials and tribulations, even though we're solid in our faith. You've got to make sure your foundation is solid in the coming weeks and months and years. I want to illustrate it like this just to bring home the point. If your house is on fire and you didn't have anything to do with it, you'll still suffer the consequences of a lost, burned home. You go, I wasn't even there. I was at work. But you still lost and you still suffer the consequences. You understand that. Very, very, very important. Great application for us. How's it going to hit home? It's going to hit home that you and I, we're going to be here, and we're going to be in our holy huddle, and we're going to be praying, but you and I might suffer some of the consequences as we wait the return of the Lord. It's not judgment. God's still going to protect us, but there's some consequences living here. Verse 5, thus says the Lord, a disaster, a singular disaster. Behold, it has come, and the end has come. The end has come. It is dawned for you. Behold, it has come. Doom has come to you. You who dwell on the land, the time has come. A day of trouble is near. And not rejoicing in the mountains, now upon you I will soon pour out my fury and spend my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways. I will repay you for all your abominations. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will repay you according to your ways, and your abominations will be in the midst. And you shall know that I am the Lord who strikes. Now again, this is heavy. Why? This is, this is not your happy, let's, let's go to Calvary Chapel and have a great, great, woo-hoo, it's great. No, I mean, he's coming, he's going, listen, I'm about to unleash on you, Israel. I'm about to judge you. The end is done. He says, I, I, I mean, make no mistake about it. The Lord is mighty and powerful. 
And you know what this caused me to do? This caused me to thank God that we are still living in a season of grace. That in this season, God has not chose to hold men's sins against them, but is offering forgiveness and grace and mercy. Because right here, the Lord tells the prophet Ezekiel, tell Israel, this is it. The end is coming. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He says, I'm going to pour out my fury on them. And he says, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. Now to you and I, Everything that's going through your head right now is going, wait, 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 well, I thought God was merciful. We're under his grace. Lord, help. Right? And again, he's going, listen, this is, this is my judgment. This is my judgment. Now, let's chat for just a moment. Many people will say, hold on, bro. I've always been taught that God is love. God is love. He won't judge or send anybody to hell. You ever hear that? Or if he does, that's not love. That's not love. But we have to remember that God is also just. He's also holy. And his judgment is to punish sin and idolatry. Jesus Christ took our judgment, our punishment for our sin. That's why it's imperative to put your faith and trust in him. This is exactly it, guys. This is exactly it. Now, the one thing that keeps coming to my mind when I read this and I read how powerful God is, and God's like, he's not going, well, you know, let's talk about it. What, what, what made you uh, worship idols? <laughs> what? Oh, I know, that's just, you're just human. I get it. He goes, listen, how long? 430 years, he's been merciful. He's been trying. He's been sending the prophets. He's going, guys, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And it's the same message that we have today. Judgment is coming, guys. Judgment is coming. You need to open up your heart. You need to get saved today. Oh, I've got it. Me and God got it. And you can see the world all are actually splitting apart from those who, who, who love God to those who don't love God. You can see them drawing a defining line and going, wow. I mean, this is, this is crazy because now, I mean, he's, I mean, think about what he's saying in chapter 7. Behold the day, verse 10. Behold, it has come. I mean, how would you like the Lord to come to you in a dream and go, this is it. <laughs> You're done. Doom has gone out. The rod has blossomed. Pride has budded. Violence has risen up with the rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, none of their multitude, none of them, nor shall there be any wailing for them. The time has come, the day draws near. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for the wrath is on their whole multitude. You know what he's saying? He's saying, yes, the time has come. Buyers should not rejoice over bargain. Oh, I got a great bargain. Sellers should not grieve over losses. He says, why? For all of them, both buyers and sellers, are going to fall under my terrible anger. Anger. For the seller shall not return to what has been sold, though he may still be alive. For the vision concerns the whole multitude, everyone, and it shall not turn back. No one will strengthen himself who lives in iniquity. 
They have blown the trumpet and made everyone ready, but no one goes to battle, for my wrath is on all the multitude. Now, you've got to grasp this, guys, because he says, he says, listen, they've blown the trumpet. That's a trumpet of war, the trumpet. He says, it's everybody should be ready, but he says, but no one goes to battle. What does that mean? What are you talking about, Lord? In other words, jot this down. No one is taking this serious. The, the trumpet, let's go, let's go, it's time. The Lord's coming back. Come on, guys, get on, let's get ready. And everybody's like, nah, <laughs> come on. Get the ball game on. Come on. I still got to make my millions. Come on. I still got whatever it might be. And right here, guys, they're not taking any of this serious. Now, I want you to remember, this is a great example for us. Why? Because if you and I were get a weather alert today and the weatherman predicts a winter storm, you and I are going to hit the storm. We're going to prepare for a winter storm. But when the pastor says Jesus is coming back, nobody's taking it serious. Nobody's taking it serious. Why? Oh, we've been we've been saying that. You've been saying that since when? We've we've been hearing that since ever we were born. 1988. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back. Psh, come on. And then you had all of these all these crazy guys start predicting and blah 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 blah. But but right here the word of God says they have blown the trumpet and made everyone ready, but no one goes to battle. He says, for my wrath is on all their multitude. Now, I want you to make a mental note if you don't mind. As we go through the judgments of chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 9, I want you to just kind of put yourself, think about this in the tribulation period. Just kind of see how some of this will match up to the tribulation. Now, you guys know the story, right? All of a sudden, according to 1 Thessalonians, we're going to hear this trumpet. We're going to be harpazoed out of here. I'm not sure at that point when the signing of the peace treaty goes into effect with Israel, that's when the tribulation starts, okay? Not the rapture, but we're out of here, okay? Once the rapture is gone and the tribulation begins, I want you to see the judgment as God pours out all his wrath. Now, in your mind, think about this, because Satan is going to come and do the same thing. Satan is always an imitator of what God does. Now, if you're reading through the Bible with us, okay, you're seeing, you're seeing the plagues right now. Moses has said, let my people go. We're not going to let them go. And everything that God does, what do, the, what do the magicians do? They do the same thing, which I think is silly. We're going to have frogs everywhere. Well, what should I do? Make more frogs. I mean, isn't that silly? If you really want to prove your power, Mr. Mr. Egyptian magicians, get rid of the frogs. No, no, no. We're going to make more lice and all this stuff. And, and so all he can do, Satan, is counterfeit what God does. So now you have God's wrath being poured out on an unbelieving world in an effort to save Israel, okay? Holy Spirit off the Gentiles onto the Jews. It's amazing. It's amazing. This is the tribulation. But notice, keep this in mind, guys, is going through. He says, verse 15, the sword is outside and the pestilence and famine within. Whoever is in the field will die by the sword and who's ever in the city, famine and pestilence will devour them. Those who survive will escape, will be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning, each for his iniquity. Think about this, guys. Can you imagine the tribulation with pestilence and famine? I mean, we've already seen pestilence. We've seen the viruses. We've seen people sick. We've seen people die. But, but we haven't seen famine. 
And he says, and when you catch up and when you get it, he says, you're going to be like the doves in the valleys. You know those mourning doves? Ooh, ooh, just mourning. And think about that. They're mourning, and yet it's too late. It's too late. Verse 17, every hand will be feeble, and every knee will be as weak as water. They will also be girded with sackcloth. Horror will cover them. Shame will be on every face. Baldness on their heads. They will throw their, notice, verse 19, guys, grab this. They will throw their silver into the streets. Their gold will be like refuse. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of wrath of the Lord. And they will not satisfy their souls nor fill their stomachs because it became a stumbling block of iniquity. You know what he's saying right here, guys? He's saying, you know, baldness is a type of judgment, but you know what they're going to try to do? They're going to start to begin to trust in their money. Wow, am I speaking today's language and today's news? This is deep because many people trust in their bank account. Man, I've got so much, I'll be all right. And the Lord says, in that day when judgment pours out, you are not, you, you have all the money in the world and, and it's not going to help you. As a matter of fact, these people, they're what? He says, man, their gold is like, is like dung. It's like, it's like, it's refuge. It's, can you imagine running? Hey, help me. What do I do? It's like, that, you know, that's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to do you any good. Think about the tribulation for just a moment. Money in the tribulation, it's not going to help you survive. Think about this. Put on your thinking caps as we connect uh, Ezekiel to our world. Think about this. Right now, all of us have, whether you have a bank account and you have plus six million or you have a bank account and you have minus six million, doesn't matter. We all have bank accounts. We all put our money in. We go to work. We put our money in. This is how we live on. A day is coming where they're going to take that away and give you what they think you should live on. Okay, and that's all in preparation for the mark, and we're going to see something so incredible here in Ezekiel about the mark. But, but again, you could, you could be plus six million and think, I've, I've got it made, all right. And then all of a sudden, the government come in, change the rules, and we don't, you don't have plus six million anymore. Or the world's going to be so bad that it doesn't matter how much money you're going to have in the bank account. There's no food to buy. There's no food to buy. Guys, listen, if, if the hard pods will happen tonight, the stores would be emptied by tomorrow afternoon. There would be nothing left. All the stores in Lubbock. You understand that people would hoard and hoard and hoard and hoard. And, and there's only enough food for 20% of the people right now. Only 20%. So 80% of Lubbock goes, we don't have anything. I mean, it could just, it's a mess. You go, well, Ben, what's the point of money? Well, money is good for us to live on, but when we trust it more than Jesus, that's when we get into trouble. Your money's good, but listen, don't trust it any more than, oh, well, as long as I have this in the bank, I'm secure. And I know we all think that. We want financial, financial independence. And we want to be able to do this, but it can be taken away. Look at verse 20. As for the beauty of the ornaments, he set in majesty, but they made it from the images of their abomination. They're detestable things. Therefore, 
I have made it like refuge to them. You know those things that they thought were all pretty? No, it's, it's like, psh. he says, I will give it as plunder into the hands of strangers and to the wicked of the earth as spoil. And they shall defile it, and I will turn my face from them. And they will defile my secret place. For robbers shall enter it and defile it. Make a chain, for the land is filled with crimes of blood in the city of violence. Crimes of blood, guys. These are just, this is crazy. I don't know if you know this, but in studying this, I realized that in this time that, that abortion here in Ezekiel's day was rampant. It's crimes of blood. And it just so happened today that part of the news, it, it just jumped out at me. Did you know that our United States government has indicted 11 protesters and their protest was singing to God in, in a Planned Parenthood type of clinic. That's all they were doing, just singing, and each one of them could get up to 11 years in prison. That, that's going on in our world. Lord, what are we going to do? Yet, all other, all other protests go, go unnoticed, don't they? Church, listen to me. I know there's just a small group of us tonight, but you need to know, and I need to know, that we're on the verge of the enemy coming in. And, and you know what hit me? It hit me that as a pastor, I could easily be in jail for preaching the Bible because they were just singing. That's all they were doing. They have video. They were just singing. And all of a sudden, oh, no, you, you offended somebody. You, you, their rights, and now you're going to jail. Are you serious? The country that we love? Loves the abominations. The country that we love loves evil. They don't want us, church. They don't want us. Therefore, verse 24, I will bring the worst of the Gentiles, and they will possess their houses. I will cause the pomp of the, pomp of the strong to cease, and their holy places shall be defiled. Now, when, when the Lord is prophesying this, this destruction, you know what he's saying? He says, I'm going to bring Gentiles to live in your house. And, and here, the word Gentiles is like the worst unbelievers you can imagine, and they're going to take over everything. And so there is going to be a little remnant there. I mean, the majority are going to go to Babylon, but there's a little remnant there that's going to be just around with Gentiles. And it's like, oh, ah, oh. I'm going to bring the worst of the Gentiles. Destruction comes, verse 25, and they will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster will come upon disaster, and rumor will be upon rumor. And they will seek the vision from the prophet, but the law will perish from the priest, the council of the elders. The king will mourn. The princes will be clothed with desolation. The hands of the common people will tremble, and I will do them, and I will do to them according to their wear, according to what they deserve. I will judge them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I mean, guys, think about this. He's just, he just pouring it out in chapter 7. In chapter 7. He says, man, you're going to be looking for some sort of word from God, but you don't want the word of the Lord. The prophets are gone. The, he, he says, and, and, and I'm going to give you what you deserve. Now, chapter 8 is the one that really 
um, got with me, got me, but because this is this is the abominations of the temple, guys. And as we go through it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of the church around the world, and I use the word church loosely. Just think of the church, okay? Because now something's about to happen that you're going to see is happening in our day. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Now remember, the Holy Spirit would come upon them in the Old Testament. They would walk with them, but they could never come in them, okay? That they could just come upon them for power and for prophecy, but the Holy Spirit could not indwell sinful men back here in Ezekiel. But a great sign of our salvation today is the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in you. So listen to me. When you do something and you get convicted, come on, somebody, that's a good thing. Because the Holy Spirit is inside you and you're like, oh, okay, all right. I'm convicted, but now, jot this down. The Holy Spirit will never bring guilt. He'll bring conviction. He'll say, hey, you better, but he'll never bring where you feel guilty. That's the work of the devil. Can I get an amen? So so Ezekiel says, okay, this is what's happening. He's going to try to describe the throne of God. Then I looked, he says in verse 2, and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire. And from the appearance of his waist, he's trying to describe God. He said, from his waist downward, fire. And from his waist upward, he had the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. And amber is this greenish brown. As it changes colors, it's so amazing. But I want you to close your eyes for a minute and think about this. From upward, you just see this intense fire, right? Downward, I'm sorry. Downward is this intense fire. And then, and then upward, the appearance was just like this brightness, like you, you can't see. And he stretched out, notice, out of the form of his hand, and he took me by the lock of my hair, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court, where the sea of the image of jealousy was, and which does what? Provokes jealousy. So he sees this God, God comes, and he he sort of picks him up by the lock of his hair. Not He doesn't pull his hair. He sort of picks him up. He says, now I find myself between where? Heaven and earth. And now I saw something that's going to make my stomach. You go, what's that? The Lord lifts him up. He's between heaven and earth. And God gives in Ezekiel. Where? Notice first, it's the north gate of the inner court. Everybody mark that down. Okay? But he says something. He says the north gate where where the seat of the image of jealousy. I said, what is, this image of, what is the image of jealousy? Well, you can circle that and put idols. It was called the image of jealousy because it provokes to jealousy. It was an insult to both God and his temple, uh, to his temple and his people, the commentator Taylor wrote. Now, here, here's what I want you to see. Say, um, I'm going to use Ben and Raina. Ben and Raina, how long have you been married? 44 years they've been married. Now, an image of jealousy would be that Raina's old boyfriend, 45 years or 46 years ago, she had a picture in every house, and, and Ben comes in and goes, wait, what, did, what, what, what's this all about? 
Well, we've been married 44 years, and I love you fine and all, but I remember him. He was, he was so, and, and he was supposed to be, I'm not saying this is, but, but you understand, it's that provoke, and, and this is what they're doing. They're, they're coming in, and, and, and he's going, wait, this is, in the, this is in the courtyard. This is happening in church. What is, the, what is the image he's talking about? Well, here's the thing. It's idol worship, but idol doesn't... He, I, Ezekiel doesn't mention anything with idols except sun, S-U-N, and, in, and then Tammuz, and we'll see what Tammuz is. Those are the only two he mentions here. But let's see what he says. Verse 4, And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision I saw in the plain. And he said to me... Okay, so God's speaking. Here's God speaking. Son of man, lift up your eyes towards the north. So I lifted my eyes towards the north. And there, north of the altar gate, was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Can you imagine putting your lover's picture right at the front door? No, Lord. Furthermore, he said, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abomination in the house of Israel commits here? And here's what's happening. And this is sad verse, guys. To make me go far away from my sanctuary? Now turn again, and you will see greater abominations. Now this broke my heart. Why? Because I really want to chat about this. Israel had so desecrated the temple and worshipped idols in the church. They were doing great abominations, and they had no remorse for the Lord. They just they didn't care. The Lord says, I love them, but they're causing me to go away from them. They're causing me. Now, put on your thinking caps, church. This is not a salvation issue, but a relationship issue. You go, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, right now, we know Israel is God's wife. You got that? You guys with me? We are considered the bride of Christ, but this is Israel is God's wife. And... The wife of God right now is committing spiritual adultery with other gods. And the Lord says, you know, I see this and it makes me want to leave. And a quick application, and we'll make some more comments here in a minute, but a quick application is that we have to do a heart check. We have to do a heart check because what's in our heart, you know, because some of us feel like, man, I'm, I'm far from God, man. I'm, I feel like I'm drifting. I feel like God is so far from me. Well, we have to do a heart check. Lord, is there anything in my heart that's causing, like I'm still saved, but my relationship is not what it once used to be. And we have to take responsibility. We have to do a spiritual inventory. Lord, where am I? What am I allowing in my eye gate? What am I allowing in my ear gate? What am I allowing in my heart that you can't be around? And you're going, Ben, listen. We, we got to do something about this because it's causing me to, and I just wonder, because this is what he's doing with Israel. He's going, look at the temple. Look at the temple. And so he brought me, look at verse 7. So he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, he said, there's a hole in the wall. And he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. And as I dug into the wall, there's a door. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations they're doing there. So I went in and saw... And there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beast, 
and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all in the wall. He goes, man, I went into church. Look what I found. I found everything that's such an abomination to God. To God. Imagine with me, on the outside of the inner court and inside the temple, God's people are committing what is shameful and not really caring that God sees. That God sees. Again, it's like married folks here bringing another lover into the house where you both live. Hey, this really hurts. This really hurts. Again, because God is so loving and and, and it's in his word, Lord, where am I with you? Lord, I know, I know that, that, Lord, we sin at times, but I just want to make sure that, that my heart is a heart that's receptive to you and I'm not causing you to back off from me. Wow. What about our churches? What about our churches? Do you know this? And I use the church loosely. Do you realize that in the churches today that Jesus is not even there? They call it a church, but they do all kinds of abominations. And Jesus comes in and he doesn't feel welcome. He's like, hey, there's, I'm not even welcome here. Guys, we have to stick to the word of God. For Jesus is magnified here. We should always welcome Jesus here. Never do we want Calvary Chapel to go, well, you know, it's a big church, but Jesus isn't there. He left a long time ago. May it never be. Verse 11, And there stood before me 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in the midst stood um, Jehazaniah, the son of Shiphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of censer went up. Then he said to me, son of man, do you see what the elders of the house, do you see what the pastors and the assistant pastors are doing? He says, notice what they're doing in the, what's that word, guys? Dark. Every man in his room of his idols, for they say, the Lord doesn't see, and the Lord has forsaken the land. Guys, they're sinning in the dark, thinking God has not seen. Oh, what you do in the privacy of your own home, nobody knows. See, we come to church and we say, God bless you. How are you? Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. And then he says, and then we go into our, that's what he's saying about the church. He's saying, look, the pastors, the assistant pastors, the leaders, they're all coming in here and and they're living an unclean life. Why? Because they go, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord doesn't care. And here's the thing that the Lord gave me. What we do in moderation where people can see, I think we go far beyond that in the dark. What we do in moderation, you go, what does that mean? Let me give you an illustration. An illustration could be really simple. You know what a PDA is, a public display of affection? Some of our youth is very, very good at public displays of affection, and you go, oh, oh, calm down, you know. Leave room for the Holy Spirit and that sort of thing. And, but what they're doing on an outward where people can see, they're doing far worse when nobody can see. And I bet that was pretty much the same of us before we got saved. 
Now, here's what I see in this text. You ready? God sees everything. God sees everything. Now, again, notice what they say. The Lord doesn't see. He's deserted our land. He's not here. Well, you've asked him to leave. How did you ask him to leave? Through your abominations, through your worship, you've asked him to leave. Through your actions. Verse 13, and he said to me, turn again and you will see a greater abomination of what they're doing. Wait a minute, that's not enough? And so he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, guess what's going on? Women are sitting there weeping for Tammuz. So, so not only are they worshiping, he, goes, he says, look what's going on. And you go, well, what's the problem? Well, Tammuz was the god of fertility, embodying the power of new life in nature in spring. So again, we, we don't have time to go through all of what, who Tammuz is. But there they are. They're weeping for, oh. <laughs> and, and just, you can write this down because if you look her up, um, it's about a woman and a child and Satan always mimics and, and counterfeits what God does. Mary, the virgin, will give birth to a child all the way back in Genesis. Uh, there's so much of Tammuz, but we got to go on because we got another chapter to cover. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn and you will see greater abomination than these. And he's brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house there. And the door of the temple between the porch and the altar were about 25 men on their backs toward the temple of the Lord with their faces toward east. And they were worshiping, notice, the sun towards the east. They've left the worship of God. They're worshiping Tammuz. They're worshiping the sun God. We know. And he said to me, you have seen this, O son of man. It's a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abomination for which they commit here. For I, for they have filled the land with violence, and they have returned to provoke me in anger. Indeed, they have put a branch to their nose. Everybody see that? Underline that. Why? Because here's a funny thing, and, and I haven't studied it real deep firsthand, but my understanding is in witchcraft, and witchcraft because it's, it's, it's in worship to nature, um, they will take a branch and put it to their nose in witchcraft. And I haven't really studied it. I just want to throw that out there for you. You can kind of grasp that, but they're doing that right here. They're taking that and they're putting the branch to their nose in worship of what? Well, Paul tells us that they begin to worship the creation rather than the creator, and that's what they're doing here. And he says, Therefore, I will act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity, Though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Now, here's what's happening in churches right now. Instead of churches being houses of worship where God and his word are being worshipped, many churches are doing exactly what this is. This is like reading the newspaper. Guys, This any type of social media, you'll see this. They'll bring in a pride flag. They'll just, this is church now. They'll, I mean, it, it's just crazy. In the name of church where... Thousands, mega churches will do this and, 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 and not even think about it. And they'll come back and they'll say, yeah, we did this for Easter and we did this and we had, we had you know, all these skits of these girls and, and Jesus was a woman on a cross and all this stuff. But he'll, the pastor will come up and he'll say, well, well, see, a lot of people got saved. We had a lot of people get saved. A lot of people, and I'll say, but what Jesus did they get saved to? What Jesus? At what cost? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, it's not even a church anymore. Chapter 9. Then I called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let all those who charge over the city draw near each 
with a deadly weapon in hand. Now, here's what I want you to see, guys. He says, let those who have a charge, okay? He's not talking about men. He's talking about angels. God has put angels in charge of the city, sort of like your guardian angels when you were born. Hopefully, we still have them, right? Because I don't just, I mean, I know the Bible speaks of a guardian angel when a little one's born, but I still need mine, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I'm not there yet, Lord. I still, I still need a lot of help. He says, I've got these, and he says, notice too. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate. Six, guys, which faces north, each with his battle axe. Oh, in his hand. One man among them was clothed in linen and had a rider's inkhorn on his side. What is he going to do? And they went in and stood besides the bronze altar. Bronze, obviously, is a sign of judgment. But here's what I want you to grab the text, guys. You have five mighty angels with a battle axe, and all the guys go, yeah, but you have one with an inkhorn. And I'm going to give you the reason. Check it out, verse 3. Now, the glory of God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the men clothed in linen, who had the rider's inkhorn at his hand. And the Lord said to him, ready? Go through the midst of the city through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on their foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. Guys, you got to get this. It's so, so cool. If you have a pencil handy, circle the word for mark, because when you look it up in the ancient Hebrew, this is just amazing. In the ancient Hebrew, the word is tav, T-A-W-V. But if you look at it in the Hebrew alphabet, guess what it looks like? A cross. That's what it. You look it up right now. You now don't do it right now, but look it up. He's marking the people who did not sin with the cross on their forehead. He's go through, go through, Mister Inkhorn. Here you go. Here you go. And it's like wow. God is marking all those who had not sinned into that idol worship with the cross. That's the cross. Now, let's, let's look at a couple things futuristic, rise. okay? You and I, we're sealed. By the cross, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? But think about the tribulation, right? In the tribulation, there's two markings. There's going to be the mark, those marked by God through the tribulation, okay? And then Satan is going to what? Counterfeit that. With what mark? The mark of the beast. In your mind, always remember that Satan is going to counterfeit what God does. Always. In a horrible way. But in the millennial reign, guys, the Bible says that we're going to have a mark on our forehead. And it's just so cool. It's so cool. That's, that's, just, that's just amazing. But right here, hey, you got, you got five angels with battle axes, and you got one that goes, hey, here you go. And it's the cross that marks us saved. That is so cool. To the others, he said, upon my hearing, okay, go after him through the city, notice, and kill, do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay the old, old and the young men, the maidens, the little children, the women, but do not come near anyone who has the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Where does judgment start, church? In the house of the Lord, amen. And then it goes out. So he began with the elders who were before the temple. And he said to them, defile the temple, fill the courts with the slain, go out. And they went out and killed in the city. And so it was 
that while they were killing them, I was left alone. And I fell on my face and cried out and said, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in pouring out your freedom on Jerusalem? Now, let me stop you right there. How many of us want to be a prophet? This is heavy. This is heavy. He's seen all of this. And he's probably rejoicing, going, yeah, God, you're going to save. And then he's like, now go kill the rest of them. Oh. No, Lord. Verse 9. Then he said to me, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed, and the city is full of perversity. For they say, the Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. And as far as me also, my eye will neither spare nor will I have pity. He says that three times, guys. But I will recompense their deeds on their own head. Just then, the man clothed with linen who had done the inkhorn on his side reported back and said, I have done as you commanded me. Okay, last thought. Last thought. That was all of chapter 9. This is heavy judgment on the children of Israel because they entered into idolatrous worship. These are God's chosen people. These are the one. This was the wife of God. We're the bride of Christ. Remember, it's not a relationship. It's not a salvation issue. It's a relationship issue. And so I wrote down on my notes, if our lives in one way, any way, shape, or form, are allowing idols to come in. Now, now think about idols, guys. Think about idols. An idol is anything that takes prominence over God. Anything. And a lot of times, here's what humans do. Humans will take good things and make them ultimate, which makes them an idol. You'll take a good relation. Oh, I love my husband. My husband is so good to me. My wife is so good. And you'll take that relationship and you'll make it ultimate to where now your wife or your, your, your husband is now in the place of God. That's an idol. Well, are you saying, Pastor, I'm not saved? I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying that God goes, hey, hey, listen, this, he's, he's on my throne. And I got to be honest with you, my, my heart is breaking right now. But listen, I'll still stay here if you let me. But if you keep worshiping these idols, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away. Yeah, but Lord, Lord, I, I want to I wanna love my husband like you told me. I want to love my wife. I want to love my kids. I want to love my grandkids. I want to love all these things that are good. I want, yeah, but don't make them ultimate. Make sure tonight, guys, make sure tonight in the few minutes we have, and Tal, you can go ahead and come on up. In the few minutes we have, just remember, Lord, if, there, if I've done anything that's caused you to leave, I'm sorry. Point number two. Things we think others can't see, God sees. Here's my plea to you. It's not a salvation issue. It's a relationship issue. You go, Ben, what should I do? Repent, confess, and surrender to him.
Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your word, Lord. There's lots and lots of chapters, but Lord, pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. God, tonight we thank you. We thank you that we got through all the way chapter 9. Lord, lots to think about. I know it's an overview, but God, today we confess our sin to you, Lord. We confess those things that, that are um, pushing you away. We ask that you forgive us. Come back, Lord. Walk with us. Lord Jesus, we repent. We give you our heart, Lord. In this last song, Lord, as we worship you, I pray that our church, our little church here, would do the work needed to get back in a wonderful, amazing, vibrant relationship with you. And Lord, it starts with forgiveness. Lord, we love you. We thank you for tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.